Happy New Year, and welcome to The Naked Truth, real talk about West Coast Swing. My name is Eric, and we're back. After a brief hiatus and a special episode on The Open with Christopher Dumond, I'm back to releasing episodes each week on Wednesdays. Speaking of Chris Dumond, you might have noticed a new sound at the beginning of this episode. That's our new theme song, and that is a Chris Dumond creation. I'm excited to finally have a theme for the show, and Chris was masterful at putting that together for me, and also at dealing with my feedback and nitpicking. So thank you, Chris, for putting up with me, but also for creating something to help set the tone for our listeners and help brighten up the show. For this first episode of the year, I wanted to share a conversation I had with Courtney Adair over the holidays. I've been wanting to sit down and chat with Courtney for a while. See, I'm a big fan of her and Sean. I think they're great dancers and fantastic teachers, and they put out amazing routines. But they're also really bright, warm, down-to-earth people. I've gotten to know them more in the last couple of years. They have been my teachers, and they've also been my fellow Northern Californians. And of course, we had both of them on the show last year. From talking with them, I knew that Courtney had gotten her certification as a yoga instructor. And in our conversation for the podcast, I discovered that she also majored in psychology in college. So I was really curious to hear more about how her studies of psychology and meditation and yoga, all of these things outside of dance, how those had helped to shape and influence her journey in the dance world. As many of you know, Courtney is super sharp, and she's also very warm and very positive and very real. She's just, well, damn cool, and she's also very authentic. She'll usually see the bright side of life, but she doesn't ignore the messiness of life either. And in this conversation, she opens up about her own personal challenges in life and how her practice of meditation and then later yoga, how those shaped her and helped her and also influenced her as a dancer. I found the conversation to be really enjoyable. She's a delight to talk to and really easy to talk to. But the conversation was also really enlightening, too. I learned a lot just by talking to her. And I hope you feel the same way. So here now is my conversation with the amazing Courtney Adair. Courtney Adair, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Really good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm thrilled to sit down with you again. How are you doing now that, you know, the open has passed and you're nearing the holidays, the end of the year? Yeah, the post-open December. That's a (laughs) thing. That is a thing that I think needs to be talked about a little bit more, actually. Yeah, Um, say more. This Well, this has been one of the best Decembers I've ever had. um, And that has allowed me the clarity to see just how difficult December can be. Mm. So you have the holidays. Nights are longer and darker. <laughs> yes. um, and then you have the huge adrenaline rush of the open. And really, like only three couples are going to be happy leaving the open, right? right? Whoever places first in Showcase Classic and Rising Star, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then December is also pretty notably like a, a slow month for professional dancers. Right. Like there's not a lot of events. Travel slows down. Um, so there's all these different situations and circumstances that kind of surround that immediate post open high that it's really easy to fall into like a deep December depression. Mm -hmm. Um, so one of the things that's changed for me this year is 
I'm in San Antonio, so it's sunny. That helps yeah. me. <laughs> Sean says I'm solar powered, and I agree with that. Oh yeah, I'm I'm totally I'm one of those people who has seasonal effect disorder. Yeah, where uh, I'm curious to see what happens here because in in California it's not that bad. I mean, yes, the days are darker, and yes, it's it's gloomier because it's raining. Yeah, but it's still not that cold. Um, and in winter there, things bloom. Right. Yes. Like things are green. So I'm like, ooh, everything's green. I'm good. Yes. Um, but when I lived in the Northeast where I grew up and now that I'm in Minnesota, uh, pretty much every year without fail, like the end of February, I'm like, this is terrible. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> like that, that long winter is just a lot to deal yeah. with. Um, yeah. So San Antonio being sunnier, I'm sure helps a bit, even if the days are shorter. Yes. Yeah. No, it's, that's uh, definitely been a nice shift to have. Like it was 70 degrees yesterday. <laughs> I'm walking around in a t-shirt and I'm like, December's great. Like maybe not in the Christmas spirit, but I'm in great spirits. Yes. Nonetheless. Um, the other thing that was really cool that kind of shifted, I think how my December started was Sunday at the open. I organized a group of, um, like mostly classic competitors, but just kind of a circle of friends for like an intentional gathering mm-hmm. um, to kind of talk about just how we were feeling. Mm. Um, and that ended up being a really cool, powerful moment amongst like peers and, and friends. Um, Sean got donuts. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, sat out by the pool and we all just kind of like talked about where we were at and we were all in really different places. We all had different, like some of us made finals, some of us had great runs, some of us had complete blowouts. Um, and we all just held space to, to share those emotions. Cause I think it's for me in particular, it's easy for me to stuff, to hold things inside. And then it starts to just spiral. And then I judge myself for feeling that way. And it just becomes this whole cycle of like, meh. So like that immediate, like, hey, let's wake up Sunday. Let's talk about this now. It just happened. Um, was a, It started a, a cool chain of events that I think has led me to feeling way better this December, which has been exciting and I think useful and something that I would like to kind of carry forward as tradition. Mm-hmm. What led you to do that in the first place? Um, I was chatting with Cameo and Tashina at some point. Um, and they've been really great support system for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that I hate doing is setting goals sure. so much, so much so that I, um, I have to call them go mm-hmm. instead of goals. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Um, so we'd all just kind of talked about like, Hey, we're going into open season. How can we all support each other? And I was like, you know, I usually wake up Sunday super like depressed no matter how Saturday night goes like it's just it's a really hard time for your body to be going through so much and then it's over and then you wake up and you go okay what's next so I said something that would be great is if we could do like some sort of check-in on Sunday Um, and they were like yeah and then they kind of followed up and they're like hey are you doing this check-in and I was like yeah and let's make the circle a little bit bigger Um, let's have like some men in there let's have some non-competitors and it was just really kind of like a last minute hey if you're up like come meet us here um, yeah, that's kind of how that came to fruition. Yeah. You mentioned that you tend to hold things in, mm-hmm. uh, and let them stew a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, I'm not all unfamiliar with that. It kind of depends on the emotion. Sometimes I just let my emotions out and 
I shouldn't. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, foot and mouth syndrome is usually what that results in. Um, but uh, yeah, other times I think for all sorts of different reasons, we hold our emotions in. What do you think leads you to keep you from either expressing or, or really processing those emotions? Are they particular emotions or is it circumstantial? Um, I think that a lot of overachievers, especially overachieving women, have a tendency to be people pleasers, mm. um, to not want to rock the boat, to make sure everyone's happy, um, to be polite and kind. Uh, so sometimes when I have these emotions that aren't so polite, happy, sweet, and kind, I'm like, oh, I better keep these to myself. And I tend to stuff them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I'm a really big, like I'm a big feeler. Like I would call myself an empath. Um I'm pretty perceptible to energy shifts as well. So when I feel things like it's not like, oh, what was that? A little baby emotion. It's like huge rock the boat. Right, like, right. Ah. <laughs> So it can be really scary. Um, and, and I think, you know, fear also helps you to stuff because it's like, well, let's not look at that. <laughs> let's not examine that. That's going to be hard. So then I stuff it and then it, you know, of course grows like 10 times the size. So yeah. that's where, uh, Uh, Some meditation and and yoga has definitely helped for me to look at things in in a way that's not so scary, to see um, thoughts and emotions as thoughts and emotions, not who I am, Mm -hmm. but just moments passing in time. Um, And that allows me to look at them, check them out, and then kind of drop them and let them be on their way. Yeah. And I want to get into the meditation and yoga. I'm just curious, Mm -hmm. uh, where in the birth order are you? I am Leo. Leo, and then in oh. terms of the order of your, gotcha. you have siblings, right? Yeah, I was like, birth order of the world? I have Leo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm the oldest. I have okay. a younger sister. She's eight years younger than me. Okay, interesting. Yeah. I'm I'm the youngest, um, <laughs> and my my sisters are seven and nine years older than me, so it's about the same gap. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, being, I, you know, usually the middle child is kind of the pleaser. The yeah. older one feels more like they have to care for things. Uh-huh. make decisions and then the younger ones were like explosive radicals so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i probably fit that a little too well um anyway i was just curious if if you think your upbringing at all had any impact on how you you know either feel like uh, uh your need to please or how you deal with your own emotions yeah i think so for sure um you know and uh as i've you know grown up and done some more therapy and, and reformed some relationships in my life. I've definitely started to appreciate those lessons and the way that I was brought up and, and how it might not have been perfect, but it was the best that people could do at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's ultimately led me to where I'm at today. So like a very common sentence in my household was Courtney's so sensitive, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which was never like, look at the power of this child to feel things so deeply, like what a gift it was like, Oh, you're so sensitive. Yeah. Like life's going to be hard for you. Yeah. So re reshaping this idea that sensitivity is really powerful and it's really necessary, um, you know, has helped me to kind of shift those childhood patterns and kind of hold them up and value them a little bit instead of like, that was wrong. I better change everything. Yeah. yeah. That was a similar realization for me going through therapy when I finally found a good therapist was being able to 
distance myself from the emotions and thoughts of family members. Mm, I think mm-hmm. it's really easy to, I talk about this with other people. I don't know if it's true for you, but for me, when I go home to my parents, like I see my family every year at Thanksgiving, we all get together and it's so mm-hmm. easy to just get back into that. Like when you were a child, whatever oh, yeah. your role and mode was when you were a kid and yeah. um, all the angst and the tension and family dynamics. And yeah. a big part of me for therapy was being able to step back and, and say, one, I don't have to be that person. And two, mm-hmm. like whatever my family members feel or think doesn't have to be my feelings and thoughts. Right. Um, that was a big is it, part for me because I was also a sensitive child. Yeah. Is it, uh, is it the same family home? Uh, no, not anymore. Um, it was up until about five years ago. Yeah. Um, but it's still the same family and it's still the same dynamic to a large extent. Mm-hmm. Um, like my parents are who they are and my sisters are pretty much who they are. <laughs> I mean, they've yeah. evolved in their roles as they've had families of their own, but there's still a common dynamic, but it's just a lot easier for me to go home now because uh, like you, I'm an empath and I feel a lot of what's going around me and um, being able to just say, I don't have to feel the same way they do was a really mm-hmm. big, helpful tool for me mm-hmm. at a lot of mm-hmm. points in my life. Um, but anyway, I'm curious to know when, uh, you discovered meditation and yoga. When did that happen for you? Um, those kind of happened at two different times. So I, let's see, it was like the year before I graduated college. Yeah. My uncle, um, who is my dad's brother, um, uh, he gifted to me as like my combination college graduation slash high school graduation present, a ticket to the South of France, um, where he goes on a Dharma Yatra every year, which is essentially like a silent meditation walk, um, and retreat. And so I'd never been abroad before. I love my uncle. I was super excited to like, woohoo, let's go. Um, and it was amazing. And basically we're in the South of France, uh, kind of like in the Pyrenees area, you have a backpack, you drop it on a truck, you walk in a single file line of like, mm, there's maybe like 150 people I want to say. And you walk all day in silence throughout just like these beautiful landscapes. Um, people of all ages, like families who are bringing like their young kids and, um, just all walks of life. And then you walk all day you get to wherever you're going to camp, the truck dumps your backpack off and you set up camp. And then they make like this big vegetarian meal. You hang out, talk, um, chat, whatever it is. And then in the morning you have like a Dharma talk and then a, a period of meditation. Um, and that was my kind of first exposure to, I would say like an alternative lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was huge. Like, it feels like I've, I spent most of my twenties and early thirties trying to rediscover that little gem that I found when I was like 20, Mm -hmm. 19 or 20. So that was my first experience with meditation. And I don't think it was the practice of meditation that really sat with me. Um, I think it was the exposure to different kinds of people. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, to different ways of thinking, different ways of being, different ways of like raising children, of eating, of dressing, of showering. Like it was just totally outside kind of my circle of Windsor, California, and then a little bit of college. Um, so 
that to me was like, oh, there's something here. Um, so that was my kind of first exposure to meditation. And then I took uh, some yoga here and there, uh, like at a gym, and I found it painful and uncomfortable, and <laughs> I didn't like how it felt in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just kind of dropped it. And then I, uh, Sean and I moved back up to Santa Rosa, and we joined this really great um, gym. And it's one of those where it's like, we have a sauna and a basketball court and a swimming pool, and they have a yoga room. And it's incredible because they have dim lighting and carpet. So it's super comfortable to be in there. Um, so this year when they had the Zen room at TAP, I was like, ooh, yay, this is great. Um, so I started taking classes there with this woman named Vicky, and she is like just one of the most skilled yoga teachers that I've ever been blessed to take her class. And she was teaching on Wednesdays. So with our travel schedule, I could always make it to her Wednesday class in this beautiful yoga room that felt like, oh, there's a bunch of people in here that um, – remind me of those I was on the Dharma Yatra with. Mm. So kind of like coming back to Santa Rosa, which is a pretty liberal area. Alternative lifestyle is like the lifestyle. Um, So I was surrounded by people who were familiar to me in that way. Um, She included a meditation part in a lot of her classes and her yoga made sense to my body. And she was the first person who spoke to what was going on the inside going on like on the inside of the the yoga practice, not just the shapes you're making with your body and the stretches and the exercise and and all those other parts of yoga. So that I found her class, gosh, it was probably like four years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And that started a regular practice for me. And then it was last December that I went to Peru and I did my certification to be a yoga instructor. That's excellent. Yeah. You said she was a, you know, a very skilled teacher uh, and you liked her particular style of yoga. What was it about her teaching and what was that style of yoga that you really liked? Yeah. um, So, you know, I find that most teachers kind of um, pick and choose from the different traditions. um, But I would call her style more uh, Hatha, which is like you're holding the poses for like at least two to three breaths. You're not doing a lot of um, like the, chaturanga to the upward dog to the downward dog kind of vinyasa flow so you're um you're warming up different parts of the body so that you can really get into some poses and hold them for deeper and longer and i found that that space that she was creating um made me aware of the thoughts i was having while i was in these poses Mm -hmm. and she did a great job of um having everyone set an intention at the beginning of each practice coming back to that um so feeling like she created this practice that started with uh, your mind and your thoughts, and then you moved the body in order to kind of clear the mind was, for me, I think what connected everything that I had been looking for. So your first meditation experience, first of all, it sounds amazing. Um, yeah. Also incredible that it's in the south of France. <laughs> I just, right? I don't know. I just wouldn't think that's where they do that kind of thing. Um, but also uh, very intense. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you said it was like a week long where you're yeah. not talking and thinking. Um, and you said you really enjoyed the, the people experience more than the meditation per se. Yeah. Um, what was it about the people or the, you know, quote unquote alternative lifestyle that you were attracted to? Um, I think it was really, really open. Um, like that there wasn't this sense of, 
like separation. Um, I being the overachiever, um, and people pleaser, like I tend to have a very loud mind with a lot of judgments and I felt like I could go to any group in this large gathering of people and they'd just be like, Hey, have a seat. Mm-hmm. That's all that there is. There was no need to, to qualify. Um, and I think there was also, um, this was the first time in my life where I went, uh, and did activities like without putting makeup on, worrying about my hair, worrying about my clothes. Um, not that I'm a super materialistic person, but I cared a lot about my appearance, um, struggled a lot with eating disorders growing up. Um, and so this was the first time I felt like I could present myself as I was, and that was enough Yeah. with this group of people. So it didn't feel like, um, cause you know, you're sitting in a group of people who like, maybe they haven't showered or they haven't shaved their armpits or they haven't used shampoo in 10 years, you know? And here I am being like, Hey, I can just be here and be me. And this doesn't need to require um, anything to change or alter who I am. Yeah. And it sounds like it was a really critical time. I don't know. I just think of always that transition from high school to college. Like those years can be really formative in your identity. Yes. Um, Especially going from, I don't know about you, but for me, I came out of a, a small town. Well, I shouldn't say a small town because it was in suburban New York. So it was like densely populated, but there were only a hundred people in my class. Uh-huh. And I would say of those hundred people that I graduated with, probably at least 60, 65 of them, I knew since kindergarten. So it was a really, we used to joke that like people knew what color your poop was before it hit the water. It was a really <laughs> kind of small town. Feel. That is a joke. <laughs> It paints an image, I know. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it was just really small. Everybody knew everybody. And um, I had similar formative experiences, particularly in uh, high school where I, like I spent a summer in Costa Rica or I spent a summer in Israel where it was the same thing where you just kind of, you're out in the middle of nowhere. I think being out in nature was a big part of it for me. Um, Because yeah, when you're out in nature and camping or whatever it is, like you stop caring about the superficial things. Right. Um, so that was really important. But then for me, I went to college to get out of that small town and figure out who I am. And I, I spent a lot of my time in high school. And I think particularly that first year of college and second year kind of thinking about who I am. So mm-hmm. I imagine having that experience. Um, like you said, you, you've kind of sort of been chasing after that. Um, was it hard to come back to the reality of college life and, hang on to what had happened to you? Was it a hard transition? Well, what's interesting, and I never connected this until you're asking me this question, is I came back and that's when I threw myself into dancing. Mm. Why do you yeah. think that is? Like, what um, do you think the connection is? Uh, I think that I've always felt my most free, my most like centered, like just being who I truly am when I'm moving and dancing when I'm moving to music is when I feel most myself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, Cause I remember like I came back and I told my mom, I was like, I'm throwing away all my makeup. I'm donating all my clothes. Like I'm wearing the same dress. That's it. And she's like, Whoa, 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 Courtney, calm down. And I was like, no, I'm going to do this. <laughs> I think I ended up like donating half of the clothes and I still <laughs> threw away all my makeup. And then I like didn't wash my hair for a month. It was great. Um, <laughs> and, and then I remember feeling this need of like, 
wow, I have capacity in my life for so much more other than just schoolwork and whatnot. And um, I had this choice of either going to uh, apply for a or join and pledge, yeah, that's the word, pledge a sorority with my roommate at the time, or I could go to Reno Dance Sensation. Hmm. And I chose Reno Dance Sensation. And, um, and I got on a Greyhound in downtown Sacramento, and I rode a Greyhound out to Reno. <laughs> it was <laughs> one of the sketchiest experiences of my life. But I just feel like that has been, like, that defines my dance journey, like a Greyhound from Sacramento to Reno. <laughs> like, it's going to be hard work, and it's going to be difficult um but you're gonna get there and you're gonna find pure joy yeah so that for me was like went to reno joined a uh at the same time like i joined a salsa competitive salsa team i joined a hip-hop company in uh san francisco and then i started doing classic with edwin so it was like i threw myself into all things dance yeah did that ever help you reclaim that feeling of southern france oh yeah yeah. yeah. And I think, um, like the last like year since I've been back from Peru, like I felt like when I got back to Peru, like when I went to Peru, I went, Oh, there's Southern France. But now like, it's not me looking at it and saying, Ooh, I think that's cool. Like now it's, it's, uh, it's my job to carry it forward in my life and introduce it to my community and to my family and friends and show them that this is who I am. Yeah. I want to hear more about, um, the yoga training and, and, what's happened since, but yeah. I first want to ask you, um, you know, you said what you loved about that Southern France experience, uh, was the freedom to be you without judgment. Mm -hmm. And I imagine getting into dance and, and like you said, being able to move to music and feeling yourself was really rewarding. But at a certain point you did start doing routines and started yes. competing and our yes. world is fraught with judgment, um, whether it's literally judging you on a clipboard <laughs> yeah. or just the social, you know, the sociology of our world, of our community. Yeah. Um, did you have to grapple with that at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, I still do. Like, just came off the open, remember? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think, you know, like that for me is, um, I've had some hard years where I, I struggle with my role in the community and this is how I want to be spending my life right now. Um, if this is my life's work and, and I come up against these moments of like this, this judgment, like, uh, what, what does this mean? And this feels so sticky and uh, I don't know. And I go, ah, uh, like I can either look at this and say, I don't want this, or I can say, this is the teacher. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's difficult because um, so this is kind of like where I'm at now, like where what I've settled on to um, integrate this idea of competitive dance, um, professionalism, judgment, clipboard, peers, audience, whatever it is. And like and me being that lover of free movement. And I found that if I solidify everything I am from like what I believe in um, the products I want to be using, the way that I want to present myself to the world, the, the music that I believe in, the, the choices that I make with my body, with how I share the floor with another human being. If I'm just super solid and conscious and intentional with all those choices that are up to me, then that's the best that I can do. Mm -hmm. 
And I feel like I'm actually judged the best and my scores align when those feelings are really true and strong. So I've been um, lucky to be one of those people where it's, if you believe in yourself, like the world's a better place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I feel like the uh, judge the scores, um, how my peers receive me, how students, what students think of my work, all of that is like when I really show up, they go, hey, that's Courtney. I saw her. That's great. Like we'd love seeing Courtney. Yeah. So um, that's been a pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. When you first decided to, and I know we talked um, on the last time you were on the show about you and Sean deciding to make this a career. Mm-hmm. Did you have any doubts, concerns, questions about dealing with the judgment and just all the time, like immersing yourself uh, in that, that potential? No, but that's because I often don't think things through. <laughs> so Ignorance I'm, is uh, bliss. yeah, well, you know, um, I mentioned before and like, and, and you understand like being, um, an empath being sensitive, like, you know, when your body says yes, mm-hmm. uh, I listen when, when everything in my being says, yes, do it. Like I just do it. I don't even question it. Um, you know, not that I go in like blind by any means, but dance for me has always been that feeling of, of yes. So mm-hmm. I just, I just keep saying yes. And it just keeps being awesome. Yeah. So I, I didn't, um, you know, I look back on it now and I'm like, as someone who struggled with anorexia, like from 12 until like 25, like, gosh, what a really hard environment I put myself in to be, you know, to have my body be judged. And that's my job. Um, and, but now as a woman in her thirties, I go, wow, like, I'm so glad that I had to look at this issue head on. Like I had to really question how I felt about my body and what that meant. And I couldn't put it in the back burner and let it, you know, transform into something else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe if I had realized how much judgment would be a part of the job, I would have said no. And I'm glad I didn't think about it. And I just <laughs> said, I just said, yes, yes, I want to dance. <laughs> yeah. How did you make that transition? How did you go from, you know, anorexia and mm-hmm. being subjected to a lot of judgment to being okay with it? Um, I mean, it's definitely still an ongoing process. Um, that's where yoga for me really helped me to feel like I was blossoming. Mm. Um, it was the first time that I had done something physical with my body that was to celebrate it as opposed to change its form or beat it up or tell it that it wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was the first time that I would go to the gym and, um, feel better about myself when I left. Mm. So, uh, that for me has been really great just for, again, like providing the space to hear the way that I talk about my body, um, though, uh, and to kind of examine that and to be like, man, that sucks. Like let's, let's replace those thoughts with something a little bit kinder or let's see, um, you know, what the body's capable of, uh, what its purpose is other than to, to be a certain size or a certain shape. Yeah. Before you discovered yoga, what what did the struggle look like? What did it look like when you were conscious or uh, feeling judged about your physical self? Um, gosh, like it would be so many crash diets, like before any kind of like nasty event where I had to be in a costume. Um, and that was, oh, that was so hard. Cause yeah. it's like, 
you're practicing, you're running this routine. And then at the same time you're starving yourself. And I was just miserable, you know, and that's, and that's hard too, when you're doing what you love, but there's that, that hard edge of like, Oh, but you're beating yourself up in order to do it. Um, and you know, there's a difference from like beating yourself up because you're working so hard versus like, because you don't think you really deserve it. So those two parts of myself had, you know, some pretty strong battles. So yeah, it was a lot of like crash dieting. Um, so a lot of like avoidance, um, like unhealthy behaviors for sure to, to cover up kind of just how like, Oh, how hurtful that was, how, how mean I was being to myself. Yeah. When you started finding more success, Mm -hmm. did you experience imposter syndrome? Did you think it was because of how you looked or in spite of how you looked? Um, well, you know, it's funny, like the, the most concrete instance of imposter syndrome that I've been dealing with was actually after I got my, um, yoga teacher training Hmm. was I came back and I didn't teach yoga for like months because I was like, who am I to be teaching yoga? Like (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm not qualified, even though I literally flew to Peru, spent a month training, (laughs) got the piece of paper that said like, yes, you are, you are qualified. I was like, there's no way. Like there's like, I'm not. I'm not healed enough. Like I'm not powerful enough. I don't, I don't know enough. Like who am I to tell these people what to do with their bodies? And I'm like, well, I've been doing that for the last 10 years as a dance instructor. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's another interesting um, piece of the puzzle. And Sean and I just started reading this book called, I have it right here, the war of art break through the blocks and win your inner creative battles, which has been awesome. So we're kind of starting this daily um, exercise where we, we read a little chapter each morning and kind of discuss anyway. So the big thing from this book is that quality of resistance that comes up of actually like when you are ready to meet your highest potential, that that's when the resistance voice is the loudest. Mm-hmm. And so that for me is where that showed up was, Oh, you feel really ready to, to do something. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but to get back to the question of like finding success and then how that looked body image wise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I don't know if I have an answer for that right now, actually. Yeah. yeah. So let's get to the yoga piece. Mm-hmm. You were really enjoying your own practice of yoga. What motivated you to go seek certification? Uh, did you intend to teach or did you see some value in it just personally doing it? Or did you want to bring it to your dance? Um, I had a lot of different people in my life say, you would be really good at this. Like, have you ever thought about getting your certification? Um, and I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, that would be really cool. And then, of course, it's it's hard to find a month uh, in a in your year to just go off and like not work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a timing thing. It was a financial thing. Um, all these things that were just like, yeah, I would love to do this, but this is something that's like, know, I'm not actively pursuing it. And then, uh, sold some real estate. So I had the money, mm-hmm. um, came across a teacher training that was in December. So I had the time. Um, and Peru showed up as just, kind of the place that I was most interested in. So it was a combination of like shamanic healing as well as yoga certification. So all those things just sounded really, really great to me. Yeah. Um, 
And this is another one of those where I had the feeling of yes in my body. So I did it with zero kind of um, motivation to, to teach or to know what it would what it would do. I just knew that like, yep, that was it. So I'm just going to go do this now. And that was part of where that imposter syndrome kicked up for me was I came back and everyone's like, so where are you going to teach? Are you going to teach in studios? Like, are you not going to travel as much? Are you going to teach on the road? And I was like, I don't know. I just love yoga and I want to do it more. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, there was this like expectation that I hadn't even thought about. And then, you know, it's easy to take on other people's thoughts and ideas as your own, like you were saying. Um, and so I was like, oh, well, should I be teaching? And what does that mean? And am I ready to teach? And do people want to know what I have to teach? And blah, blah, blah. Um, so that was kind of been that last year of like hearing these questions that this, that are coming up. And then it's like, let me give myself like the space to find the, the grounded true answer. Um, so I've been teaching a little bit at events and I've been really, really loving it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first time that I like officially taught a yoga class was, uh, last year, uh, during February when we did our first edition of choreo camp. Mm, that's right. Yeah. And so I have this huge fear of like, people are going to show up in jeans and, they're, um, they're going to be uncomfortable because I have to be on the floor and we don't have yoga mats or like props and like, what is this even going to look like? And people aren't even going to show up for this part of the event. And then Saturday morning kicks off and like everyone shows up in yoga pants and they've brought extra yoga mats for everyone. And everyone is happy to like jump onto the mat and do some pranayama breathing exercises with me. And like, and I got a bunch of hugs after and I was like, okay, (laughs) a little validation. Yeah. Yeah. A whole lot of it, you know? And, um, and I I think I was just worried that like what I was offering people wouldn't be interested in, or they would think it was weird or they wouldn't really be into it. And the fact that they were so open and so ready, it was like, well, regardless of how I deliver it, like the fact that they're open to this and I can be that, that connector, like that channel for the message is amazing. Um, and then I taught, uh, just a couple weekends to go at tap. Like I said, they had this incredible Zen room. So I went in there to do a personal practice on Friday and I contacted Meech and Chuck and I was like, you have to let me teach in here. Like I cannot teach <laughs> in a cold ballroom under that lighting. Like, please let me come. And they're like, yeah, sure. It might be crowded. And I was like, whatever, it will be great. Um, so that was a, a really powerful class for me too, to be able to, um, share yoga in such an appropriate space. I felt like it just really people opened up to it in a super significant way, which is great. Yeah. You talked about the value of doing yoga for your own acceptance of self, especially your physical self. Mm-hmm. Um, how has the practice of yoga or meditation benefited your dancing? How has it influenced how you actually dance? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I mean, it's been interesting. Like our routine before this one uh, in the black and white to flume you and me, like that was heavily inspired and influenced by a bunch of different yoga poses. So you can see it show up in the choreography. Um, just a lot of like lateral spinal movements, like this opening up of side body was a a new sensation for me. So I really wanted to explore that in West coast swing. Mm -hmm. Um, so it super showed up there in a really big way. Um, I feel like the, uh, the meditation, and the breathing and the centering has really showed up in terms of how I feel before I step out onto the floor. Like I used to be just this like 
bundle of like, I'm going to mess everything up. Everything's going to go wrong. Like my foot's going to slip, blah, blah, whatever. And I feel so much more, uh, like aware of like, those are thoughts, like they're relevant. That's fine, but that's not the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, that's your mind acting up. Um, so that's helped to, I feel like I felt more grounded and centered and just like in the moment. Like, I feel like I can tap into my flow state a whole lot easier um, than I used to be able to, like, it used to be like, I would just fall into a flow state and that would be awesome when it accidentally happened. And now I feel like I can, I can clear the mind so that I can just get into the, the fun, repetitive hum of the dance. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Has that practice influenced your teaching at all? Or did your yoga certification, you know, learning to teach that influence how you teach West Coast swing? You know, um, I feel like the yoga certification showed me that I was already a really great teacher, Mm. um, which was something that I kind of doubted in myself. But then you show up and it was a group of like, it was basically like 20 women and then two men. Um, And I was like by far the the best spoken and the best like projection and all of those, like I could cue really well off the bat. And they're like, yeah, well, of course you're a dance teacher. And I was like, oh, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I feel like what, um, but it did help me with some of, um, just some skills in my teaching that I I wasn't as like fresh on. Um, so just being way more like direct, like I think the, one of the best things I learned through the yoga teacher training was you have to be really direct with your cues. Uh, Because, you know, if you're moving an arm subtly from left to right, like you just have to say like arm shift arm from left to the right side of the mat. You can't be like, and then if you're thinking about doing this, sometimes you can try to use the left arm. (laughs) It's like the arm would be moving a centimeter every five minutes. Um, So I feel like I've gotten way more direct in how I ask people to move their bodies. Um, And I've appreciated that I've felt more solidified in my technique and my uh, delivery of it. Has studying yoga changed what you think is proper West Coast swing technique at all? I ask that because mm. I know, uh, having worked with a chiropractor myself, mm. it gave me a much better understanding of what my, how my body should be aligned or how mm-hmm. my joints should move, mm-hmm. um, in like working on my own body in that I try to bring to my students. Mm-hmm. So even if I'm asking them to do something that maybe is out of alignment, I said, I'll let them know that that's something that like is out of alignment. I'm just wondering if doing all these different yoga poses or understanding how your own body can or should move has influenced how you tell others to move their body. Um, yeah, I think it has like, uh, in general, before I found yoga, I was already like, um, super into weightlifting, like the technique of that. Like I've always been very much into the technique of movement. Um, so I felt like I was a very alignment based teacher, um, before I found yoga, but something that, um, has, has helped me feel like I can be better with my students about is being more specific about how to cue different sensations in the body that help with alignment. Yeah. So I've, um, I would say probably like 60% of the private lessons I've taught since I've been back have been like, take off your dance shoes. I need to see how your feet are working, um, or are not working. So that's been a big one for me, just identifying the importance of the activation of the feet, um, with like balance is such a huge part of this dance. Um, especially as the, 
the music has gotten so much slower and the weight transfers have to be so much more methodical. Like you're spending a lot of time basically transitioning through one foot and the amount of people, women in particular, because of sandals and the fit of them. Like once I ask them to take off their, their shoes and then have them do something barefoot, it's like, Oh wow. What have have you been functioning in this dance? (laughs) So you have so many more um, stabilizing tools available to you that you haven't even tapped into. So um, I feel like that as that barefoot practice has, has helped me to encourage students to work on the facility of their feet, um, which is where this dance lives. So I feel like it hasn't changed how I view West coast swing technique, but it's definitely helped me to bring in like a broader, understanding of every single piece of the body and how it all plays a part in that functional movement of the dance yeah what's your what's your favorite or the best uh cue that you've learned from from yoga oh there's so many (laughs) (laughs) um like a a couple that just come to mind Mm -hmm. like one that i've been exploring a lot recently is um like heart bright like shine your heart, um, like open up the collarbones, um, like heart light, heart forward, those kind of things. I'm, I really love, um, like I love cueing parts of the body that people can't actually access because it, it, it invites them to be artists at the very root of their movement. Mm. So I can't, you can't be like, I'm going to move, move my heart, but I can move like what I hold (laughs) as that, like as that area as that energy center. And I can bring all of that forward. And when you ask someone to bring their heart forward, or to make it shine a little brighter, like it, it perks up their posture in a way that is so different than if I said, like, pull the shoulders down and back and stand up tall, like it creates this movement and this invitation for them to bring like a new part of themselves forward. So I love cues like that, where it's, um, you know, like, it encourages a good alignment, but it also invites a person to perk up a little bit on the inside, see yeah. what's possible there. That's really cool. Yeah. You've mentioned earlier that you're a bit of a people pleaser and mm-hmm. that you feel that that's also something that a lot of women experience. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how that has played into your experience in West coast swing, either as a dancer, or as a professional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Well, I think there's like two things that come to mind. The first is a personal experience I had. Um, so I started the dance when I was like 13 in a country bar. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, an interaction with a person who, being a people pleaser, I always thought that turning someone for a da- down for a dance was rude. Mm-hmm. Like I never knew, knew that no could be something that um, I needed to say in order to protect myself or just because it was a choice that I was allowed to have. So um, I feel like the the people-pleasing side of anyone in general can kind of um, make you always have to accept situations that you don't want to be a part of um, or that don't feel safe or comfortable or like that bring you joy. So um, I think reframing the word no, not as a like, no, I don't want to, but as a no, that's not for me Mm -hmm. is um, I think that's a really powerful shift that's happened for me that I would love to just continue to speak to like in my beginning classes. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the most common set of like people pleasers, I would say. And, and ultimately like I, I look at people pleasing as being told I'm sensitive. Like it can be something where 
it can be a sign of weakness or you can flip that and you can really hold it up and see that it's a really powerful thing. So I think like bringing joy to others, making other people feel comfortable and happy is a wonderful set of skills that any person can be holding to. But I feel like sometimes um, when it's not looked at in a powerful way, it can turn to a really terrible dynamic between a leader and a follower, mm. between a teller and a doer. A And that's when a lot of shoulds and you're supposed tos come out. Right. So I've had to... Um, work with some typically like husband, wife, or like boyfriend, girlfriend, um, partnerships where there has to be a more gentle language inserted into how they talk about dance with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, because I've seen a lot of women say, um, I just want to do this right. I just don't want to mess this up. And then a lot of like, yeah, you do mess this up. So (laughs) so that's always um interesting to go in and like you want to teach people how to be happy in their bodies and and move and express themselves and communicate together and when there's a really strong communication breakdown outside of the dance world just in their everyday life like that's uh that's where the psychology comes in yeah well (laughs) i've always i i've don't work with as many uh like wedding couples as i used to Uh in part because (laughs) <laughs> it's just like i i don't have an i don't have an mft like i am not yeah. a, a licensed therapist and oh for sure so many I, honestly there were some wedding couples where in my head i'm just like are are you sure about this like i think every uh couple who wants to get married to go take dance classes <laughs> just to yes. see surface some things work out your partnership um yes it's a lot for sure yeah with like a dance instructor slash like mft like what you should call it like the dance therapist right i mean yeah and that's almost redundant. Like, I feel like learning to dance is a little bit of therapy. Uh, oh, it's so much therapy. Yes. <laughs> Did your inclination to please others affect you in your rise to champion at all? Whether it was, uh, you know, getting hired for things and being willing to take things on that maybe in hindsight you rather didn't or how you felt when you started putting yourself out there at the champions level on like a Jack and Jill or strictly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think it served me really well because, um, I want to make sure that I am quick to respond to emails and communication and whatnot, um, which is really hard to do when you travel so much and you keep such different hours. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that that has served me well in my professional, uh, just, of being like hireable, easy to communicate with. Like, I think that's super important, especially in a community of artists. Um, and then, you know, I did have to, I noticed that my, um, I was having these great dances when I would draw like the, I call them like the chall star, like the all-star champion <laughs> kind of like they're in between there. Yeah. So when I would draw them in a Jack and Jill, I would just kill it. Cause I wasn't, Um, worried about pleasing them because Mm -hmm. I I had this sense of like, I'm already a champion. So like, I, I'm a little bit higher. Like this is, this is that power dynamic so I can be myself. And then I would draw like your, the champion of champions. And I would have terrible dances where I would short circuit. And I'm like, well, what's going on? Like (laughs) I draw the person who's supposed to have the easiest time guiding me through this dance and I can't function. And, um, that's where I could see that people pleasing rear it's not so pretty head of, I better do this right. They're amazing. I'm under them. Like that's the power dynamic shift. Mm -hmm. Um, 
like, I better make sure that everything I'm doing is what they want. And ultimately, like, I've had discussions with plenty of these men and they're like, I like it when you're you. Right. Like, that's the person I want to dance with. You're awesome. You're Courtney. I want to dance with Courtney. I don't want to dance with, you know, some perfectly executed robot of my own ideas. I'm like, yeah, no, that's what I teach. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> don't you love that? There's yeah. those moments all the time. We're like, ah, man, if only I check my own lessons. Yep. Take my own <laughs> advice. Yeah. When can I yeah. get a private with me? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so how have you worked with other dancers women in particular to help them get over that people pleasing or because I feel like it, it is uh, a common assumption about the leader follower dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. That the, like you said, teller doer. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like it affects followers more often than leaders. Um, and you may have a different experience, but that's been my experience is that a lot of followers just want to do it right. Um, mm -hmm. and want to be a really good follower. Um, but like you said, that can also stifle their own expression or their own contributions to the dance. So yeah. how do you help um, followers in particular to deal with that, to to not always be people pleasing, but at the same time, not ignore their leader, right? Like it's that fine dance of, I hear what you said and I acknowledge it, um, but I'm also not beholden to follow it to the T. Yeah. Um, I feel like most of the women that I work with just need to hear Yes. Um, I feel like most of the people who are coming with that idea of like, I just want to be a good follower are already really good followers. Um, so I, it's, those are often sessions where it's like, show me what you're worried about. Like, let's, let's look at the fear of you messing up or you like, oh, my biggest pet peeve is when people call it hijacking. Mm -hmm. um, like, let's look at this and, and I'll tell you if I, if it's appropriate and inappropriate. And it's like, 95% of the time, it's always a super appropriate choice within like two beats of music even. Um, so I think a lot of that is, uh, is removing that line of questioning that is ultimately stifling them because when they hear yes, then it also becomes, okay, yes. And instead of no, but you should have done this. So it's letting them feel like they're, um, or it's, it's showing them and educating them on the choices that they're making and how that can kind of create a really successful branch of further choices, um, instead of this, like, no. Yeah. I know that you, along with, I believe, um, Tashina, mm -hmm. Sonia, uh, Alyssa, Cameo, are they all involved in this Westie Goddess Retreat? Yes. And Katie. And Katie. Excellent. Yes. Um, yes. Tell me a little bit about that. What do you, I mean, I know it's, I don't want you to like give away your secrets of what you do in there if it's not appropriate, but like, what's the, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's like a oh, I'll secret tell you commune. Is true. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that, but, it's uh, so funny because so like, I've had so many people be like, oh, like, is it cl behind closed doors? <laughs> I don't think it's like, I should, I should rephrase that. Uh, I don't think it's like a secret thing. I mean, clearly I'm talking about it on a podcast, but, um, but I know there's a, a sacredness about the space you create. Yes, so I don't want 100%. you to feel like you're dishonoring that in any way. Yeah, totally. um, but uh, yeah, I'm curious, you know, what do you, what are kind of the key ideas that you all work with to help empower more women in our community? Yeah. Um, so 
for for me, um, and that's what's great about creating a retreat with uh, so many strong women is we all have the different um, pieces of empowerment that we all really attach to strongly, and then we can all bring that to the table. Um, so for me, one of the best parts about the Westie Goddess Retreat is this sense of intentional gathering, um, and that's something that's I think has been really important to me. Like I talked about with the the Sunday at the open, this idea of like, let's get together, um, just for the purpose of like being in sacred space together, mm-hmm. uh, of holding space of being, um, active listeners of being able to share, like not having to show up in any other way other than you are. Um, and you know, something that's really easy is for, uh, followers to only get to know leaders because that's who you're interacting with at a dance. Right. Um, you know, and then vice versa. So creating a space for women to spend time together and form relationships, um, you know, going through some activities that can be pretty eye-opening, um, rewarding, maybe even a little um, scary, I would say. Um, it, it kind of creates and solidifies these bonds that don't happen in a ballroom over loud music while someone's asking you to dance every two minutes. Right. So um, being out in nature with a a huge uh, circle of women that are there to share and connect and focus on movement and growth and what it means to be a woman in today's world um, and a woman in our community is a super, super powerful experience. Um, And I'm really excited about the location that we have for next year. So last year we had it up um, in Carmel Valley, mm-hmm. uh, which was great, but it was like my version of luxury, which is <laughs> out in a tent. Like that for me is my favorite. Like, oh, if I could live in a van, I would. Um, <laughs> <laughs> however, uh, we wanted to make it really accessible to all different types of women. So we've moved it to this really incredible retreat center. Um, it's kind of like outside of Boonville, um, so Northern California. Mm-hmm. Uh, another reason why. I'm so happy about its location. Uh, And it's just super cool. It's like you have these great cabins or you have like little glamping tents or you have houses that you can be a part of. And it's um, like they have a yoga room. They have two yoga rooms. They have a barn that we're going to dance in. It's like organic meals being prepared by like a five-course, five-star chef. And then you have like a whole garden where they grow uh, everything that they they use to make these beautiful meals. So Mm -hmm. it's uh, a super incredible property. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, yeah. And this is the second or third year you're doing it or second or third time? Yeah, this is the second time. Second time. Excellent. Yeah. So speaking of kind of empowering people and um, helping them to realize their own potential in the community, uh, do you have any intentions for 2020? I won't say uh, go owls, but do you have any intentions? <laughs> no, you can say go owls. You can't say goals. <laughs> okay, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> I know some people uh, actually do prefer to set intentions yes, as opposed to a, a goal. Yeah. I think intentions could shift, mm-hmm. you know, um, an intention can be like a, a feeling or um, like a, an emotion or something that you want to call in and manifest. The signs, I think a goal is like a pass or fail. Yes or no mm-hmm. kind of situation for some people. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I like intentions or go else for 2020. <laughs> uh, I would like to share a lot more yoga. Um, I'm excited. I am starting off the year 
Um, I'm offering a class Saturday morning at Palm Spring New Year's. We're doing it out by the pool, so that'll be really great. Um, and then I'm also offering it at Choreo Camp, um, which is February 7, 8, 9. So that'll be a nice little year anniversary in return to the first time that I shared it um, after my certification. So, um, yeah, I uh, I love getting the opportunity to bring um, the practice and all the different ways it can show up and serve people in the community and during all the craziness that is an event weekend. Mm -hmm. So, um, however, you know, however I get to share it, it might not always be like an hour class. It might not be on the mat. It could just be like a circle of meditation, um, another intentional gathering, however that might show up. I'm super excited to continue to put myself out there and say yes to opportunities, even when it's scary. Mm -hmm. That's a big one for me. Um, and then my other uh, kind of intention for 2020 is to um, – it's been uh, – I've kind of started already, so it's been this interesting shift of um, pushing my body and my fitness and my level of athleticism from a healthy, empowered place. So kind of working with that edge of returning to asking things of my body, um, but coming from a place of exploration, curiosity, not, um, not coming from a place of should. Right. So that's been, um, being in the gym in December has also been really great for that December mood and mm -hmm. tackling some like Pilates reformer and doing a spin class today and just all the exercise activities have been great. And um, just because good things come in threes, another intention for me has been to um, uh, just be way more uh, available, I would say. Um, so available like in the ballroom, um, after workshops to my students, friends, um, I feel like I'm coming from a really powerful place and I believe when you can, like you should be of service to others. Mm -hmm. And I feel, um, so grounded, happy, calm, excited that, um, I, I, I love those opportunities to take that light and just kind of shine it out. So I'm just looking for ways that I can show up for the community that's given me so much, um, to see how I can give back and be that open source a little bit more next year too. That sounds amazing. Um, do you have any advice for people who have their own struggles with uh, kind of the, the mental side of this dance, whether it's, um, you know, self-image that they're grappling with or the need to please or the pressure of the judgment that's coming at them? Yeah, um, I think the first thing is to honor that all of those are a piece of the puzzle, um, but it doesn't have to define what the, the, the shape of that puzzle is for you. So um, I think it's important to look at it, examine it, um, and then to ask kind of what, uh, what are the intentions outside? Like how can we move past this? And I think uh, getting, getting help in all different kinds of forms is like huge. So a dance therapist, a regular therapist, <laughs> Um, you know, kind of, I think tracking the energy of what makes you feel good and what makes you feel ready to tackle some of these sticky, um, 
uncomfortable topics and then really like ask for support in those arenas. Yeah. One thing, one of my own intentions for next year is actually to make meditation a practice. Mm -hmm. Um, It's something I've done very sparsely in my life and would like Uh to get better at it. But one thing that I take from that is that it is a practice, right? Mm -hmm. That it's, you're training your, your way of thinking and it doesn't happen just like with dance. Nothing happens just once (laughs) it takes time and repetition and the intention to, to continue doing it. Um, So I think of that too, when I think of trying to change the way we think about things and the way we feel about things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, practice. Yeah. And practice means that, you know, it's, it's not going to be perfect. Like you said, it's a skill, Mm -hmm. a skill that takes time and involves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me know how I can support you in your meditation <laughs> practice. Thanks. Do you recommend any apps? Do you have you used any uh, meditation apps? I recommend putting the phone away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Fair point. I, Fair point. Yeah. Something I'm a really big fan of is uh, is just like creating um, ceremony around the practice. And that can look different for different people. Like I'm an incense person. If you're in a hotel and you walk by a room that smells like incense, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> so um so i'm a big fan of like creating um uh specific like lighting sound smell like yeah. that's how i like to get into my space um another thing that i love is like i talked about with this uh reading this book is um getting a book on meditation and like reading a chapter a day mm. so just kind of like building in this idea of like i'm gonna learn about meditation and then i'm gonna sit down and take that um into like my own practice whatever that's going to look like. So I understand that phones work for people, but I think it's a dangerous thing to pick up the phone to start meditating because it's really easy to open Instagram instead. Yeah. That's a fair point. A good point. Yeah. Um, Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to sit down and chat with me today, but also for being open about your own experiences. I think for me anyway, it's really valuable to hear that, to hear the challenges and the lessons and insights that you've experienced and and gained through your career. I hope our listeners benefit from that as well. I'm sure they will. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks again for for having me and just for holding uh, conversations that are important for the community and for the dance and, um, and allowing me to come share my story, the story that's, you know, changing, evolving and all that good stuff. (laughs) As always. Thanks so much, Courtney. Yeah. Thank you, Eric. Wasn't she great? I mean, she's so self-aware and knowledgeable and wise. And I just really appreciate how willing she was to share her experience with me. I thought she was really open and vulnerable. And I learned a lot from hearing more of her story. She's not afraid to be vulnerable. And I admire how she's taken her experiences and listened to them and followed her heart and just keeps growing. It's the kind of personal development she's done, the work she's done on herself, but also for herself, that I think is really inspiring and just fantastic. She continues to develop herself still in her dancing and in her personal life. I mean, you can hear how thoughtful she is about herself and her own journey. And as we start the new year, I thought we could all use some of Courtney's wisdom and perspective. What personal struggles have you all experienced off the dance floor that have affected you in the dance world? 
What have you done to develop yourself and overcome those challenges? Has dance made you aware of your own strengths and weaknesses in any way? And do any of you meditate or practice yoga? Has that practice influenced how you dance? And since it's a new year, do any of you have any new intentions or goals for the new year? Share your thoughts with me and your fellow listeners. You can post a comment on the website, you can respond to our posts on Facebook, or you can share your thoughts in our discussion group on Facebook. You can also email me at thenakedtruthwcs.com or through our Facebook page. To get the latest news, you can like our page on Facebook, subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, follow us on Instagram at the Naked Truth WCS, and go ahead and make it one of your intentions to follow us this year on Twitter at Naked Truth WCS. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Facebook. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, rate us and give us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Eric. And I'm Courtney. And, and that's, that's the, the Naked, Naked Truth. Truth. What are you doing for New Year's? Uh, well, we are moving into a new place on the 31st. <laughs> so <laughs> Here's to new beginnings. That's yeah, great. So we'll move in and then um, we'll, we'll spend the night with friends. But during the day, we'll be moving. So <laughs> You'll sleep well then. Yeah. Yeah, probably will. <laughs> I probably will not stay up too late on New Year's <laughs> Eve. And I'll sleep in on the first. And then, uh, yeah. <laughs>